This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of graphic violence, death, and suicide. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about the Draugr. Today's episode combines elements from a number of legends and stories about these undead killers for dramatic effect and to illustrate their many terrifying abilities. Stainwar tore at her hair as she paced in front of the hearth. She hadn't had a proper night's sleep in the week since her husband had died. It wasn't grief that had kept her awake. Her husband had been an oaf who deserved his undignified end. It was the noises. Every night, as soon as the sun went down, it would begin. She would hear a commotion outside and wake to find that someone had torn down a section of the high gate outside the farmstead. Before long, she was finding the bodies of animals scattered about the yard with their heads torn off. It was a chilling sight, but Stainwar was a Norse woman and she knew how to face predators. However, this would prove to be no mere wild animal. Yesterday, a boy had been found dead. Something told Stainwar he wouldn't be the last. She went to the great oak door that guarded the fire hall and opened it a crack, peering out at the road. Past the snow-covered hills, she could see the last rays of sunlight dipping below the horizon. It would not be long now. Stainwar slammed the door and bolted it shut. A chill ran up her spine as she heard a dog begin to bark. Something was moving up the hill, and it seemed to be driving the animal mad with fear. The barking grew to a fever pitch until it died all at once, as suddenly as it had begun. Then came the knock on the door. Thunderous and echoing, it rattled through the walls of the log house like a peal of thunder. 
Stainwar shrunk back from the doorway, staring at the shadow that had appeared at its base. She could smell the stink of death hanging in the air. For a moment, nothing happened. Then the door flew off its hinges, crashing into the wall beside her. An enormous figure stood in the entryway, at least eight feet tall, with skin mottled with black and blue bruises. Its body seemed swollen and bloated, but the face seemed shrunken with the beginnings of decay. Maggots crawled from its nose, gaping mouth, and glassy eyes, which now turned to the Norse woman cowering in the corner. Stainwar stared back into the rotting face of her husband and screamed. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Every week, we dive into history's most legendary monsters. In telling the stories of their origins, we hope to shed light on some truths hidden behind the creations of these beasts, where they come from, what they symbolize, and how they expose some of humanity's greatest fears. You can find episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythical Monsters for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Today we're discussing the ancient Norse creature known as the Draugr, a walking corpse with inhuman strength and the power to change its shape and size. The Draugr was a true outcast. In death, it preyed upon the society it had scorned in life. Ghosts, vampires, zombies, nearly every culture has its own version of the malevolent dead returning from the grave to torment the living. But few are as terrifying as the Draugr, an undead entity that appears most commonly in Icelandic sagas of the 12 and 1300s. It's also known as an Optergonger, a word which literally translates to afterwalker. A living corpse, the Draugr has the ability to grow in size or shapeshift into the form of an animal. Its body is solid and yet can move through objects like a ghost. It was simultaneously a creature of mystifying supernatural power and ordinary mortal wickedness. Any discussion of the Draugr first requires an understanding of the Norse conception of life after death. Film and television narratives about Norsemen frequently focus on Valhalla, a mythical place where the bravest warriors were taken to feast forever with the gods. Valhalla is certainly a part of the Norse afterlife, but it was not the only part. In fact, the Norse understanding of death was a complicated mosaic of religion and myth. 
In the modern Western world, we tend to discuss the human person as being embodied in a central core, sometimes referred to as a soul or mind. This core is who we are, the thing that allows us to exist as individuals. The Norsemen, by comparison, did not believe in a soul. They saw themselves instead as a collection of pieces, each embodying a different aspect of the person they belonged to. There was the Hur, a sort of combination of personality and intelligence, the Hammer, or skin, and the Hamenja, meaning luck. Last of all was the Filja, an invisible animal form that was said to accompany each person. Each of these parts was entirely separate, but represented a different version of the being in its entirety. These pieces were attached to a living human being by a sort of gravitational pull. When the human died, this gravity would be broken, causing the disparate parts to leave the body and scatter. There was no predicting what would happen to the pieces of a human being once their life had ended. Someone's luck might be inherited by a descendant, but their personality and animal guide might be taken to the kingdom of hell, a gray world where the listless dead are trapped until the end of time. But this was not always the end. Sometimes after their life had been extinguished and their essential elements were scattered, the person's physical body would rise again as a walking corpse known as a draugr, an unholy being comprised of the former owner's physical self and yet permanently cut off from the essential parts that made them human. But while this new creature might lack intelligence, luck, or an animal familiar, it was imbued with terrible supernatural power and fated to torment those it had once loved. Arnkel watched from the porch as his father came trudging up the road that led to his home. Turolf may have had a smile plastered across his face, but Arnkel could tell that his father was in a towering rage. Arnkel sighed. Turolf Haltfoot was known throughout the Erie for his meanness and bad temper. His rude behavior had only gotten worse as he'd grown older. Turolf gave a brittle smile as he clapped his son on the back. When he leaned in, Arnkel had to stifle a gag. Turolf had never liked bathing, and he reeked of sweat and pig dung. Arnkel asked his father what he was doing here. The last time they'd seen each other, they'd not exactly been on the best of terms. Turolf smiled uncomfortably before he responded, That is true, but that's actually why I'm here. I want to put all our years of fighting behind us. I realized what a good man you are. If only we can put aside past differences, I think we could be great leaders. Together, we could bring prosperity to the land. Arnkel gave Turolf a skeptical look. He wanted to ask what was really going on, but knew that was no way to get an answer from his scheming father. Instead, he said he'd gladly accept his father's friendship. He fetched two cups of mead, and together they drank a toast to their new alliance. Arnkel took a sip of mead and eyed his father over the edge of the cup. 
Turol fidgeted for a moment and then burst out. So to celebrate our new friendship, the first thing we should do is right the wrongs of the land. Arnkel nodded, and his father continued. He explained how his old enemy, Snorri the priest, had stolen several sheep from him. Together, they must go to steal the flock back in the name of justice. Arnkel almost laughed out loud. He already knew all about the sheep. He had spoken to Snorri just that morning and knew that the priest had not stolen them at all. Turolf's sheep had been dying in his poor care, so he had given them to Snorri to get rid of them. Then, when the priest had nursed them back to health, Turolf had demanded them back. When the priest refused, Turolf flew into a rage, kicked the priest's dog, and stormed off to plot revenge. Arnkel told his father he'd be happy to remain friends, but he would not help steal Snorri's property just because Turolf was too stupid and lazy to care for his own sheep. For a moment, Turolf didn't say anything. Then he picked up the stone pitcher of mead and threw it against the wall. He screamed at his son, saying he'd rather his wife had given birth to a dead pig than a son as gutless as he. Then he left, slamming the door as he did. Arnkel sighed as he bent down to pick up the pieces of the stone pitcher. His father's rages had frightened him when he was a boy, but that had changed. There was nothing the old man could do anymore to scare him. After visiting his son, Turolf returned to his homestead in a fit of rage. He stormed into the yard, screaming at everyone in sight and kicking any stray animals stupid enough to come near him. The servants drew lots to determine which of them would have to serve Turolf his dinner. A young lad named Geist was the unhappy loser. Geist gulped dryly as he set down the roasted quail before Turolf. The old man looked tired, and his face had taken on a pale, almost greenish tint. Geist wondered if all the hatred in his heart was making him ill. He watched nervously as Turolf examined his dinner. A look of disgust crossed his face as he picked up one of the bird's legs. His voice full of barely contained fury, he asked, What is this? Geist wanted to answer him, but the only noise he could seem to make was a terrified squeak. Turolf demanded to know who had thought to serve a pitiful vermin as dinner. Geist wanted to defend himself, but he worried that anything he might say would only make things worse. He picked up the jug of ale, thinking that, if nothing else, he could refill his master's cup. But as he leaned over the chalice, Turolf slammed his hands on the table. The sound startled Geist, and he dropped the jug. It bounced off the table, spilling its contents into Turolf's lap before it crashed to the floor. Geist stared at the shattered jug, paralyzed with fear. The air in the hall was filled with a tense and terrible silence. Finally, when he could not bear the tension for another second, he looked up at Turolf. 
The old man's face was red, a vein bulged in his forehead, and a terrible strangled moan was escaping through his pursed lips. His face grew redder and redder until it was almost purple, and then, with a thunderous thump, he fell face first into his dinner. Turolf Haltfoot had died of rage. After the break, Turolf's angry spirit refuses to rest. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Arnkel had always known that someday he would have to face the scene of his father's death. When he was younger, he'd imagined it would happen on the battlefield or in a tavern brawl. He'd spent plenty of nights trying not to picture the ways an angry Viking might kill a man as rude as his father. But he had never expected a scene as pitiful as this. Turolf sat in his oaken chair, bits of potato still clinging to his beard. His eyes were wide open, and his face was twisted in an expression of pain and rage. He had died as he had lived, angry at the world. With the help of his men, Arnkel freed his father's corpse from the chair and laid it out on the floor. Turolf had always been a big man, but somehow he seemed even larger in death. It was as though all his limbs had been filled with water. The skin was stretched taut and had taken on a black and blue tinge. Together, they lifted the body and carried him to the front of the house. But as they reached the door, one of the servants protested. The proper thing to do would be to break down one of the walls and take the body through there. That way, if the corpse ever rose during the night, it would not be able to find its way back inside the house. Arnkel knew this superstition well and would normally have agreed with the servant, but there was something about the body that made him want to get it over with as fast as possible. The empty white eyes had rolled up into the head, and Arnkel got a terrible chill whenever he glanced at them. He took off his heavy woolen cloak and wrapped it around his father's head. Perhaps that would be enough to keep Turolf in his grave. As they made their way toward the burial mound, Arnkel had the strange thought that the body was growing heavier. He shook his head. It was probably just that his arms were getting tired. At the mound, the men dropped the body into a small rowboat. Turolf's wife, Stainwar, began to load his earthly treasures into it. One of his servants slaughtered a goat and chicken so that Turolf would not go hungry on the journey to hell. As the men covered the ground with earth, Arnkel noticed that his father's body barely fit in the boat. 
as the last shovelfuls of dirt covered the dead man's staring white eyes, he had the terrible thought that this was not the last time he would see the mean old man. Perhaps what was most frightening about the Draugr was not its rotting flesh, supernatural powers, or incredible strength, but the fact that anyone could become one. It's terrifying to think that after death, your body might go on to live as a murderous corpse preying on those you had once loved. According to legend, the only way to ensure that a dead body did not become a Draugr was cremation. But in medieval Iceland, this was not such an easy feat. Many Icelanders lived in low-lying, windswept grasslands where the trees grew small and far apart. After the native birch forests were chopped down to build settlements, wood became a valuable commodity. Using a few hundred pounds of it for a funeral pyre was an extravagance usually reserved for kings or great leaders. Those who could not afford cremation developed rituals to keep the dead from returning to their homes. The most important of these centered around how the dead body was removed from the house. First, the body was always to be carried out feet first through an opening other than the doorway. To accommodate this, many Icelandic houses were built with a special wall that could be dismantled. If someone died inside, they could be taken out through the opening. This would ensure that even if the dead body did return as a draugr, it would not be able to find the front door. A second ritual involved spinning the body around several times once it had left the house, in the hopes that this would leave it too confused to find its way home again. The effort involved in these rituals reveal a sincere fear of the draugr and demonstrate a sense that little could be done to prevent a person from becoming one. But while anyone could become a draugr, there were some who were particularly vulnerable to this macabre transformation. Those who died when they were sitting upright, when they were in their own home, or when they were disappointed in their children, were often doomed to rise again. For the character of Turolf Haltfoot, who died sitting upright in his own home and feeling angry with his son, Perhaps there was no escaping his destiny. Carr woke with a start. He had not meant to fall asleep, but he was so exhausted that as soon as he leaned back against the soft bark of the birch tree, his eyes had closed. He hadn't had a proper night's sleep in several days, and even after his long nap, he still felt tired and jittery. He scanned the snow-covered valley for his father's sheep, but couldn't see a single one. The sheep were the reason that he was so tired. Every morning for the past week, Carr had gone down to the sheep barn to find a scene of horrific slaughter. The first day it was only one, a ewe laying lifeless in a pile of straw. When Carr drew closer to her, he could see that her legs were skewed at awkward angles. A broken shard of rib jutted out from her coat. Even her skull had been smashed to pieces. As the week went on, the killings only became more gruesome. His father was devastated. He had nursed these sheep back to health after they were given to him on the brink of death. 
Carr had spent the past three nights standing watch outside the barn, but each morning he had opened the barn door to find yet another scene of gore and destruction. Carr stood up stiffly and began to call for his sheep. The sun was sinking beneath the low hills. Even though Carr knew he could not protect them, he still wanted to get the sheep inside the barn before nightfall. Carr stared back at the sheep barn, hoping that the flock had possessed the good sense to head toward it. As he drew closer, he heard the sound of a ewe's frantic bleating. For a moment, he felt relief until he heard another noise that made his blood run cold. A wet, smacking, chewing sound coming from inside the barn. Carr paused before the doorway and drew his knife. Then he stepped inside. An enormous shape crouched in the corner of the barn. It heard Carr enter and turned to face him, lips twisting in a hideous grin. Carr's blood went cold with terror. He should not have come here. He should have gone back to his house and locked the door, leaving the sheep to this monster. But now it was too late. The thing in front of him had once been a human man. Carr could recognize the face of Turolf Haltfoot through its distorted features. But Turolf's essence was gone. What faced him now was a bloated corpse. Its blue-black skin was stretched taut over the gaping hole of a mouth that dripped with blood. In its hand, it held the headless sheep it had been gnawing on. Carr turned around and ran from the barn as fast as he could. He stumbled over a rock and flew into a pile of dirt, but picked himself up without a second thought. Carr's heart leapt as his father's church came into view. He could still hear the creature following behind him. Its movements were slow and labored, but its stride was so long that it was still gaining ground. Carr dashed up the front steps of the church, almost falling again before he burst inside. He slammed the door shut behind him, slid the heavy iron bolt into place, and sank down in front of it. Carr jumped at the sound of a loud thump from behind him. The draugr was outside. He stood up and backed away from the door. And then his eyes widened in shock. Turolf's head was emerging from the solid wood as if it were no more than a pool of water. Carr screamed and fell backwards as the draugr stepped through and advanced on the trembling boy. In one swift movement, he reached forward and picked up Carr as though he weighed no more than an apple. Carr screamed out in agony as Turolf took his legs in one hand and snapped them like twigs. He dropped the boy's limp body to the ground and took his head in his hands. The monster's hideous white eyes were the last things Carr saw before it broke his neck. 
Up next, Arnkel faces his reanimated father. Now, back to the story. Arnkel took a deep breath as he stepped out into the yard. Six people stood in front of him. Of the hundreds of farmers, workmen, servants, and warriors who had once lived in his father's homestead, only six remained. Now they, too, would have to leave. It had been three months since his father's passing, and the amount of death and destruction that had rained down upon his farmstead, calm, was almost beyond belief. It had begun with Snorri's sheep, mysteriously killed over the course of seven days. On the morning of the seventh day, Snorri had found his own son dead in his church. Someone had broken every bone in the boy's body. Someone had also been visiting Turolf's old homestead in the night. Arnkel would come down in the morning to find the corpses of chickens, dogs, or goats littered about the yard. Then, the night after the murder, the monster had begun to visit Arnkel's stepmother, Stainwar. She shook as she described the corpse that had come to torment her in the night. Arnkel knew then that they were dealing with a draugr, but it was too late to burn the body. The first frosts had come, and his father's burial mound was frozen solid. It was then that his father's servants and warriors began to abandon the homestead. Arnkel didn't blame them. Two weeks later, Arnkel found Stainwar hanging from her front gate. She had taken her own life after being driven mad by her undead husband. Even after his stepmother's death, the Draugr continued to come. The corpse tormented the livestock and terrified the servants. Arnkel knew that if he did not send the remaining men and women away from this accursed place, he would soon have their blood on his hands. Arnkel stepped out to address the small group. He told them that he was moved by their devotion, but he refused to be responsible for another death. Some looked relieved, others seemed sad. He told them to gather their things and leave. Then he watched as they trudged out through the remains of the old birch gate. The story of Arnkel and the Draugr comes from a text known as the Erbiga Saga, composed in the mid-1200s. Like many of the Icelandic sagas, the Erbiga is a work of historical fiction telling the story of the warring families who settled Iceland from the 9th to the 11th century. Through a number of interwoven fictional tales, the saga narrates a historical shift from the anarchic time of the pagan Vikings to the more settled life of early Christian Iceland. This theme of moving from lawless chaos to a time of shared societal accountability is a common one in the Icelandic saga, and anxieties about this transition can be seen in nearly every story about the Draugr. Those who are not willing to change with the times, the people who refused to abandon the rugged individualism of early Icelandic settlement, became monsters who prey on society. 
While the Draugr represents a failure to assimilate, the characters who fight it embody a positive choice to move on from the past and work to create a shared future. One of the most famous of these characters was Gretir the Strong. Gretir was depicted as a charismatic and virtuous outlaw who roamed the Icelandic countryside, defeating monsters and gradually learning how to integrate into the society coalescing around him. Fittingly, his journey would lead him face to face with the very embodiment of lawless chaos, a supernatural creature risen from the grave. The sun sparkled off the freshly fallen snow as Gretir the Strong made his way toward the abandoned homestead at Calm. It was a bright and beautiful winter day, and yet a sense of gloom hung about the place. Gretir had first heard about the Draugr when he'd gone to stay with his cantankerous old uncle Jokatl. The old man had been eager to tell the story of his neighbor's misfortune, and it had made Gretir curious. He'd been to Calm years before, when it was a prosperous farmstead. He said he didn't believe it possible that one dead man could destroy such a bustling community. The old man had scoffed and told Gretir that if he was curious, he ought to see it for himself, although he warned not to stay the night. There was no guarantee that even Gretir would be able to escape the fiendish Draugr with his life. Gretir smiled to himself. He could only imagine how much fun it would be to come back with the corpse's head and set it on his uncle's dinner table. As Gretir came closer to the stronghold, he could see that his uncle had not exaggerated. The place was in shambles, and not a single living thing walked the grounds. There were no dogs, no sheep or cattle. It seemed to Gretir that even the birds had abandoned this place. Gretir stepped through what had once been a formidable gateway and continued toward the dilapidated hall. A great oaken door hung from its hinges, and as he stepped inside, a hoarse voice called out to him. He peered through the dim light of the dusty room. He could just make out the figure of a man sitting in front of a Nevatopla board, scrutinizing the little white and brown game pieces. Gretir knew that this must be Arnkel, the unfortunate son of the Draugr. He called out to him introducing himself and asking if he'd like to play the board game with a partner. Arnkel sighed heavily, saying, I am happy to offer what little hospitality I can provide. You are welcome to stay and play as long as you like, but I warn against staying the night. If you did, I could not guarantee your life. The hero smiled telling Arnkel that he had heard of his troubles with the Draugr and that he had come with the very purpose of slaying the thing. Arnkel raised an eyebrow, and Gretir felt he was catching a glimpse of the wry and jolly man who had existed before misfortune had befallen him. Arnkel warned him that the Draugr was dangerous. It had the power to grow to an enormous size, could shapeshift and move through solid objects. Gretir only laughed and said, 
I've faced worse before. I'm willing to take my chances. Arnkel shrugged and motioned for Grettir to sit and play a game of Nevatopla. So the two men began to play. The sun dropped below the horizon and they lit a fire. Arnkel prepared a meager dinner and they ate together as the night grew cold and dark. When they had finished their third game, Arnkel announced that he was going to retire for the night. He looked sadly at Gretir and wished him the best of luck. Gretir asked if it would come that night. Arnkel sighed. It comes every night to torment me. That is the terrible inheritance that my father has left. Gretir's heart grew heavy as he watched his new friend head off to bed. He had only come to prove his uncle wrong, but now he felt that it would be a great thing to destroy this creature and to free this man from his terrible burden. Once Arnkel was gone, Gretir laid himself down on a wooden bench. He stretched out his legs and wrapped his cloak all around him, leaving a small opening to look out from. Hours passed, but Gretir remained wide awake. Every one of his senses was on guard as he waited for the corpse to arrive. As the middle of the night approached, Gretir heard a clamor outside. There was a snorting sound accompanied by a great crash, as if some enormous animal were tearing the few remaining structures to pieces. Gretir felt his muscles tense in anticipation. He kept his eyes trained on the doorway in front of him. Finally, the thing entered the room. It had taken the shape of an enormous bull, although it did not look like any living bull that Gretir had seen. Its blue-black skin was hairless and pulled unnaturally tight over its bloated muscles. It was all Gretir could do not to gag at the stench of death and decay that followed in its wake. The bull snorted and pawed at the ground before approaching the bench where Gretir lay. It sniffed curiously, then took hold of Gretir's cloak and began to pull. But Gretir held fast and did not allow the beast to overcome him. The beast stamped its hoof in annoyance and then tried again, this time pulling at the cloak with such force that Gretir was lifted off the bench and the cloak tore in two. Once he had been revealed, Gretir sprung into action. He hurled himself at the bull, trying to close his arms around its middle and pull it to the ground. The bull was taken by surprise and it toppled over. Gretir and the bull crashed into a bench against the opposite wall and shattered it to pieces. The bull tried in a frenzy to lift itself up. It bit down hard on Gretir's arm. The beast was trying to pull him out of the house. Gretir set his foot against a stone and screamed out in pain as the bull struggled to pull him through the doorway. Seeing that he could not keep the bull from dragging him outside, Gretir slammed his forehead into the bull's belly. 
The bull was not prepared for that, and with a great cry, it crashed through what remained of the door, landing outside the house in a shower of broken timber. Gredier came crashing out behind him and stood to face the Draugr. In that moment, the moon emerged from behind a cloud and the corpse was thrown into a beam of brilliant light. The Draugr had transformed and now a hulking monster of a man stood before Gredier. Enormous and decaying, it reeked of death and was horrible to behold. But the worst part was the eyes. The pupilless white balls spun round and round in the head as though they were forever rolling upward under a slimy brown film of decay. Gredier had seen so many terrible things in his travels, but this was the only one that had ever made him tremble. The Draugr opened its mouth and spoke in a voice like the grave. You have fought well, and I know I cannot beat you, but I can bind you so you shall never grow stronger than you are now. Once you earned fame and good fortune, but henceforward you shall fall into exile. Your deeds shall turn to evil, and your guardian spirit shall forsake you. I curse you that you will never forget these eyes of mine, and at last the memory of them shall drag you to death. When the corpse finished speaking, Gredier felt his strength return. He drew his broadsword and in one blow severed the Draugr's head from its body. It tumbled to the ground and Gredier sat down next to it. Arnkel emerged from the broken doorway. For a moment, he looked sadly at his father's headless corpse. Then, with tears in his eyes, Arnkel turned to Gretir and asked how he could possibly thank him for all he had done that night. Gretir smiled. Though the corpse's words rang coldly in his head, he could not deny that it felt good to have helped such a virtuous man. Together they gathered the pieces of wood that had been ripped from the house and built a great pyre to burn what remained of the body. Though Gredier still planned to tell his uncle how he had bested the Draugr, he no longer wanted to keep its head. He had a terrible feeling about the corpse's words, and he knew at least one part of the Draugr's prophecy would come true. As long as he lived, he would never forget those spinning white eyes. The fascination with death is a universal part of the human experience. Every culture tells stories of the dead returning to torment the living. Often these stories are used to address a fear of change. In the early 1900s, vampires swept through Western nations undergoing rapid industrialization. The wealthy, blood-sucking aristocrats gave a shape to a public discomfort with an exploitative upper class. In the 1950s, Americans feared the Caribbean zombie. They embodied their own racial prejudice in these caricatures of an exotic other. 
Today's zombie films feature worldwide pandemics that destroy civilizations, effectively taking on the terror of a globalizing world. The Icelandic people of the 12 and 1300s were undergoing their own unsettling transition from disparate groups of warring chieftains to a central society ruled by a new religion. Many grappled with fears of being left out of that transition, an anxiety that failing to assimilate would leave people behind and turn them into a plague upon society. The characters who are resurrected as Draugr in the Icelandic sagas are not well-liked heroes or heroines, but people who have failed to make personal connections in life. Time and again, the Draugr are associated with the greedy, the selfish, and those who refuse to contribute. Early agrarian societies were necessarily dependent on the strength of the community. People needed to be able to rely on each other to make it through the harsh realities of life. A person who was self-interested or who refused to go along with changing laws would sink into isolation. They became monsters, preying on the groups that they could not become a part of. All of those fears of isolation, of being preyed upon by the greedy and selfish, and of anyone who stood outside of society, were immortalized in the Draugr. Fiendish monsters severed from their own humanity, destined to wander the earth in envious hatred of the living. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on Norse ghosts, amongst the many sources we used, we found the videos of Dr. Jackson Crawford, thevikinganswerlady.com, and Norse mythology for smart people, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Zoe Louisa Lewis, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 